I've got something I want to play for you. Hello, thank you for downloading, listening to, playing MoobTube, a podcast where two men talk about a film because it's never been done before. Hi, Owen, how you doing? Hey, uh, I have smashed headfirst through looking glass um, and I'm doing just fine. Oh, great, cool. You know, I just I just went for a run just now. I'm Ralph, by the way. This is Owen. Yeah, we're, do you know, I realised we didn't do that in the first Yeah, um, we didn't introduce our we names didn't. the last time. We were incredibly um, avant-garde, as you were saying, but yeah, just not establishing, like, key characters or... Um, we were doing all the things that might have pissed us off about a film, which is we yeah. kind of just launched in a non-linear way into the kind of this assumed situation and didn't do any fucking... Uh, backstory actually we we highlighted ourselves yeah high life well we were talking about high life last week if you haven't listened to check it out especially if you've seen high life i think you'll have lots to to yeah we're low lives but that was high (laughs) (laughs) reference for Um, the low lives everyone is a low life in lockdown it's just everyone is although i feel like i feel like we're i don't know i have these days where i feel like we've kind of stretched reality so thin um, that it's just, it doesn't seem to exist anymore. And we seem to have entered this shadow realm of uncertainty and distressing, um, hyper unreality. Um, Jean Baudrillard died recently. Wow. As well. Like the great, like, theorist of hyper reality. Um, he's, yeah. He found lockdown dead. too much. Did he die of corona? He didn't. But I didn't make a point about that. It's interesting when you see, um, obituaries coming out at the moment because they explicitly say uh you know a natural death they call it a natural death um corona obviously being a sort of not natural death i suppose but it, it is quite unnatural it's isn't natural. it yeah um are we getting into like uh conspiracy theory territory about whether it's like it's kind of no uh, no i'm not doing the lab weapon. thing let's, don't worry <laughs> let's not do that okay <laughs> Um, Let's not do that when, we, when we're beginning to talk about a film with a lot of interesting political subtext. That film being Baccarat. Uh, mm-hmm. Baccarat uh, is a film from... Would you like to tell us a bit about Baccarat? Um, yeah. Give us, okay, give, us a, so give us the lowdown. I'll give you the quick lowdown. So Kleber Filo um, has directed this film. It came out, I believe, this year or end of last year, or has been one of those films doing the kind of uh, festival It did festivals circuit. last year, yeah. Festivals last year, yeah. release this year, came actually, I think it was a film that had an, an a release on movie um, simultaneously, possibly, anyway. Uh, the film, very simply put, is a, what they're calling a weird Western. It's a kind of, uh, it's a uh, Western-style genre film set in uh, the remote Brazilian outback, um, it uses a lot of kind of conventions of Western, like uh, Erico Morricone, Clint Eastwood style uh, Western conventions. Um, but it's also a film that's very much a modern film um, about sort of globalization, uh, about the third world, about the developing world, about capitalism, about gore capitalism, about murder, uh, belief, fantasy violence it's an extremely hyper violent film um well 
at least it pins it pegs itself as a hyperviolent film. I don't necessarily know if it is pegs what itself. I would call a slasher film. Yeah, <laughs> auto pegged. Um, um, yeah, yeah, it's it's um, a film of two heart, a game of two halves. I would say this right. film. I think the first the first bit is like is it it's a story about the people in the town and there are there are a few kind of things there's someone's funeral it starts with someone's funeral and mm. someone well, at the in funeral fact it starts with a a car driving quite unceremoniously my apologies through a load of um coffins that have spilled mm. over a road an uh, amazing opening an what an amazing opening incredible opening actually one little thing and so we're kind of blitzing all over the place. But one thing I noticed, I want to say it now before I forget, is that this very opening scene, uh, this truck which is uh, delivering water to this town, which has uh, had its water supply cut off by a corrupt local mayor um, as part of this political dispute. Um, this this van carrying water and medicine uh, drives through these um, coffins. And at first it doesn't notice. You hear this crunch, 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 and a passenger... Mm like what's that and he's like oh it's coffins look and then they kind of drive past the accident and there's these and there's people kind of looking at the accident and piling the coffins into their own cars because they're like oh well which is like such a nod to like death is going to happen yeah it's like oh we're going to need those coffins aren't we not quite sure yeah which is taken (laughs) uh yeah i think it's taken i think that's a scene from like fist for the dollars isn't it at the beginning when he's like really he goes past the westerns my dad is obsessed, so I have this yeah. like innate knowledge from years. What my dad watching them, and there's a scene at the beginning. I think it's Fistful of Dollars where Clint Eastwood walks into the town, and he's going to take out some bad guys, sort of generic bad guys, and he walks past the town coffin maker and says, "I'm going to need," I think he says five, and then he kills the guys, and there's six of them. And he comes back and he's like, "Oh, my mistake, six. Um, <laughs> it's kind of this. It's really good. And they do that, but the funny thing about this scene is no one's looking at the de- as a dead motorcyclist, but no one's looking at a dead motorcyclist. Mm. They're looking at the coffins, they're looking at all this future death that's kind of potentially happening, it's happening elsewhere, and not looking at the death immediately in front of them. And I think this film, one of the messages that kind of comes through is the filmmakers, Philo is saying, let's look at the deaths we don't look at, let's shine a camera and a light. Uh, all these injustices and, and violences. The, the the coffin motif. I mean, I I think that's just great narrative to just start the film with like a an image of a major theme that is also mm. like a, a foreshadowing, a precursor of, of what what comes to pass. Um, but there are quite a few red herrings as well. I mean, the, the I feel like Such many. As? Well, I think the funeral of Carmelita, where um, the village doctor. Um, whose name is Dominguez. Um, Dominguez, Dr. Dominguez, yeah. She says, like, this woman who's died is a whore, this woman who's died is, like, a complete... And then it just turns out yeah. that she was drunk and she apologises yeah. for it later. And there's not really, like, any... You, you th- I was thinking the film was going to be... I didn't realise the film was a Western. I just went into it completely cold, which is mm. quite good with a film like this. Um, I think so. But I just assumed... I just thought that that was where the intrigue was lying in, like, who this woman was mm. and what her life meant and... Yeah. In a way that didn't come to pass. So I was a little bit, you know, how they always say, you know, never, never, never deny the audience what you've promised them. I felt a little bit. You think that was kind denied. of. I, I. It's interesting you say that because I guess we'll come back to this. But certain of my frustrations with this film, and I should say up front, I feel I think Philo has done an incredible job. This is an incredibly watchable, beautiful, harrowing, hypnotic, weird film. I love it. Mm. But my frustrations are born from 
the failure to deliver on certain of the kind of uh, build-up that happens at the start, the packaging and the, the foundations that he lays at the beginning of the film, I don't think of as beautifully, or they're, 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 they're not realised perfectly for me. Because there's, yeah, so there's this scene. So basically there's this small village called Bacarau. It's um, in a very remote part of Brazil. It's having to ship its water in because it's uh, a local corrupt, kind of hilariously corrupt mayor, Tony Jr., is... Um, uh, has stopped their water supply. There are rebels in the area, and it's you think he don't really explain the political context, and that's what I kind of like about it because like there's there's local rebels, and it in a pure Western sense, it's just oh, this is kind of semi-fictionalized imagined space where there's like rebels, good guys, bad guys. It's quite black and white. Um, the uh, the villagers are obviously very poor, um, but very kind of tight. Dis- you know, it's a Doctor Dominguez who has this kind of. Uh, out outburst at the funeral, but it seems to be quite a tight knit community. Um, and I think at the beginning he shows that this is a functioning, despite all of their hardships and despite the blockade and everything. This is quite a tight knit example of like a good, healthy community where people look out and care for each other mm-hmm. and have a lot of solidarity and, and community strength. But there's these little suggestions. Obviously, this this village, unlike the imagined village of of a Western film, which always seems completely separated from the wider America. This village has, you know, people obviously have all these hallmarks of modernity. So the funeral has this kind of funeral lorry, which has these huge speakers and like OLED TV screen in the back of it, which has like music blaring out of it and lights. And there's a local DJ who's like the master of ceremonies, who's kind of like narrating the funeral. there's like mobile phones, people are constantly on their phones in this. And the key one, the key like element of the outside coming in to this community is this like the mention of drugs, but like mm. medicine. There's a a mood inhibitor called Brassel 4, uh, which kind of appears in several places. So people are kind of basically banging loads of opiates in this film and as the well. Doc- the doctor knows about this in one of her speeches. Mm. She, she says, she tells... It's wonderful, actually. She says she takes a packet and she describes the, the the effects of the drug, and then she says, "You can take some." There's a big box of it here, and then she like throws one box into the bin, mm, which um, presumably is hers. Yeah, it's a beautiful gesture. It's like yeah, she's just because maybe like, she's like you know make of this what you will. I'm not telling you what to do, but like this is what's happening. You are being like they're attempting mm. to sedate you. You know. Yeah, and it's quite, I mean, in that way, we are looking at, you know, obviously the, something that Nan Golden has uh, kind of documented in America, which is the opioid crisis. And it's kind of, I think, pointing to that and pointing to the medicalization mm. of um, communities in the world that kind of, um, the fact that to exist in, in modern society, you need to be doped up, bread and circuses, drugged up. I think that's part of the narrative. It shows how these kind of global medical corporations, big pharma, can obviously ruin uh you know, people who are already incredibly vulnerable on the edges of society, because I think the, it's implied that this is a indi- like sort of semi-indigenous uh, community in Brazil, very far away from like fancy uh, capital cities. Uh, it never says how far away it is from anywhere. And actually, the most interesting thing is when there's a local school teacher. He's this quite endearing character, um, and he. Uh, is talking to a group of children and showing them where Bacarau is on a map. And this alludes to the kind of weird stuff that starts happening, but he realises Bacarau isn't on the map. 
Mm. He's like, it should be here, but he's using Google Maps or Google Earth, and it's like the village has disappeared. There's just dust and stones and uh, wizened old trees, but there's no the village has disappeared off the maps. Um, and I think maybe we could, I, maybe you could explain the next bit because the next bit is mm. after you have this kind of funeral of the local matriarch, and you have this setup, and there's this like kind of poor but uh, surviving community. We understand that stuff like classic film thing in the in the bridge section mm. of the film stuff starts to go weird and stuff starts to go wrong maybe you could talk about about that so this is the way in which i would see the film as being in two sections um and it's wonderfully it's wonderfully alluded to in this very cute scene that you refer to in the classroom with the uh, and then he ends up pulling down a paper map and saying oh but look becker is here on, on our map here. um but uh, it's not until later on, a few other strange things start happening. There's some UFOs, like sort of UFO-style drones that are kind of hovering around, mm. um, which are also like a way of taking the audience off track a bit because you think for a moment that it's like a yeah. sci-fi thing. Um, oh, for sure, yeah. Then, it's this little B-movie uh, red herring, they said, yeah. Exactly. And then, I mean, we're giving away loads of plot spoilers, but whatever. Um, oh, yeah, exactly. But whatever. The, uh, I think films are more enjoyable <laughs> okay. when you know what happens. We're I mean, watching these Shakespeare films, so people... That. um the uh yes so what happens is like there is this um secretive uh army base um with various people of different uh, with different um, anglophone people from very from wealthy western europeans yeah wealthy western europeans and americans um german accent from udo kier who udo kier who I want to have an Udo Kier section of the show, perhaps not now, but... Um, Can we please dedicate... Maybe the, the finale of the show is like yeah, an Udo Kier like kind of crescendo. A crescendo. <laughs> a a <No>. sh- <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to do my, my Udo Kier starmer joke. No, you just did, though. Uh, I just did. That is the joke. <laughs> yeah. For, forensic. Um, he's just been such a good actor. He's, he's in so many... Okay, we're doing our Udo Kier thing. He's in Should so many. Now? He's in so many mad films. He's such yeah. an extraordinary. Like he's he's worked. He's with a kind Andrea, of Christopher Herzog, Fassbender. Everyone. Yeah. He plays as kind. He's kind of like a Crystal Walken character, who's known mm. for his particular intensity, intense eyes, incredible face. Uh, he's. I guess it's what people used to call like a character actor, and still kind of mm. do. Which is, I always think, is a weirdly disparaging thing because I think character, the kind of people who become character actors, often a lot more interesting anyway. People like Ed Harris, whoever, but yeah, he's hundred percent. He's got he's got serious like art house chops, and he's got serious kind of like Hollywood chops as well. Which is this makes he, it the perfect film in a way because this is like a, a oh, art house western. It's, it's peerless, wonderful. Anyway, so what I was gonna say. Oh, two things. There's one. We have a regular section of the show now on sexual violence or sex and violence, the relationship between sex and violence. Um, but yeah, firstly, there's this Western imperialist conspiracy basically to erase this town. Um, it's not exactly clear what the plan is because the plan mm. is derailed quite early on. Um, yeah. When two of the members kill. Uh, some people from the town without that being really part of the so it's sort of it's kind of strange you you sense that there's a plan and from what we know of the way the west has treated latin america across the 20th century um we can uh sort of deduce broadly what the plan would be but um and as we saw and these things often happen in very visibly 
you know, this mm. is the the shadow state, the shadow army, the American funded coup in Nicaragua. Mm. It's even what the failed, hilariously failed coup in um, recently, just a month ago. Was it a month ago? Um, in Colombia, where uh, a kind of shady. Uh, was it Colombia? Co- it was the guy that Corbyn was mates with? I love how no. fucking informed I am. <laughs> I'm so I'm so uninformed. Who is the guy? Evo Morales. That no, it wasn't Colombia. Morales. That was Bolivia. Was it, it Bolivia? No, no, there was a there was a failed coup in Colombia as well. In, oh, shows what I know. And it was that's, it, where, the, it was that's where the FARC is, right? Um, uh, do you know what? I'm I'm going to step away from this conversation because <laughs> I. <laughs> just Shocking. Stupidity today. Shocking. Fuck. I think it is fuck. Um, although fuck. they've signed. I'm sorry. What did signed. Fuck. Fucking hell. <laughs> fuck have signed a peace treaty. Um. um with okay, the that's 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 um okay yeah but a- anyway regardless so this is a there's a group of mercenaries or well either they're trophy hunters or mercenaries or whatever it's not entirely clear why they're here um but we kind of the there's the kind of the story pivots basically from the village and a series of deaths that happen kind of quite western star mysterious deaths mm. like a farmstead is shot up two guys discover it a whole family's been killed seven people um and then we kind of flip and the pov flips to this group of mercenaries led by udo kia and it kind of implies that they're soldiers of fortune but also implies that they're uh they've paid to do this as a kind of like uh trophy hunting thing mm. i think they've paid to be there have they paid to be okay so it's like paintballing yeah. or something yeah, they really right. seem to yeah. be enjoying themselves, which leads me on to the sexual, sex and violence section of the show. Um, yeah. There's a scene there where... Is a jingle for that? Where <laughs> we'll find something from High Life, probably. Um, <laughs> there's, a, there's a section, there's a bit where a, a man and a woman in the Western imperialist uh, paintballing group um, mm. shoots very violently kill an older couple from the town who who drive out to investigate what's going on. And their whole no, car they're escaping. Gets... Sorry? They're escaping. They're escaping, sorry, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they their car gets, you know, claret all over the dashboard. It's, it's not very pretty. Um, and then the, the couple who did the killings, uh, well, they're not even a couple, they're just, I don't know, flirting, um, just have sex, like... Um, uh, yeah, right in the field where they've done it. They're, they're yeah, gorged yeah. and swollen with this bloodlust. Because um, all of them are obsessed with uh, body count. And even call it that, it's like body count. Um, yeah, they love it. And they, 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 and they, there's a dr- the drone flies over, and so everyone in their team can see them fucking. They get um, surveilled. They yeah. get surveilled while fucking. And, like, that was, like... Just the immediate, ob- the immediate obviousness of ah oh, yes we've killed some some op- oppressed people now we're yeah. gonna fuck to celebrate and this is the only way we can get our rocks off you know yeah that's because i think that's struck me as interesting it's interesting and it's really poignant in a way because we what we learn and what we see of the mercenaries or trophy hunters um is that it, we don't really get any backstory from any of them which is probably fine um they're quite two-dimensional reasonably weak characters in a way um mm. but in a way i suppose what's happening is they're they're being turned into stereotypes whereas the villagers are being filled with human warmth and mm. backstory and complexity and what philo has kind of done is flip the cowboys and indians 
uh, uh, scale. So, you know, the traditional Western, you've got the cowboys who, you know, who've got the, the Westerns, the white people who've got this depth of character and are granted the privilege of backstory and identity and complexity. And then you've got the other, the Indian, who are just cardboard cutouts. Um, and this film really, if anything, is an inverted Western because mm. what's happening is the, the cowboys are the Indians and the Indians are the cowboys. The white Westerners um are suddenly uh the bad guys and the indians who would typically fill the role of the bad guys are the good guys and we invest in them very heavily for the first half of the film like you said it's these kind of two three sections and one thing that philo does is we get this kind of anthropological film for the first kind of third and it's it's very ethnographic and i think that's really important because i think when i did a bit of back reading on this philo and Donielas, who he wrote it with, uh, screened a short film they'd done a couple of years ago at a festival that was also showing quite a lot of anthropological film. And they got quite a lot of influences from that experience, apparently. And they're like, oh, this is interesting. Wouldn't it be interesting to make a, uh, an anthropological film that was also a, a kind of genre film? Um, mm. And so what you see at the beginning is the creation of this very complex community. You know, we see their funeral rites uh, we learn that they've got quite a lot of spiritual beliefs that are kind of non-Christian. In fact, the church is closed uh, throughout the film because at one point a guy's like, oh, I'll, well, it's not closed, but nobody uses it because the guy's like, oh, I'll go and open the church up. And they're like, oh, no, no, the church has always been open. But when they go in there, it's like dust sheets. Uh, no one's using the church. It's this kind of non-Christian part of society and uh, community. And one thing that the start of the film does is it kind of implies that um, they are interpreting these deaths that are happening around them, these external forces that are attacking them, because they are a community under attack and under threat, that they are interpreting them as through this lens of kind of animist uh, belief and spiritualism. Um, but what they actually happens is it kind of flips and they figure out relatively quickly that no that uh, they are under attack by mercenaries. A guy very bluntly figures out that the UFO that mm. he sees hovering over, which is probably designed, the hunters probably assume is supposed to fool these simple locals, straight away he's like, oh, it wasn't a UFO, it was a drone. Do you remember that section? There's a farmer yeah. and he describes there's, there's, and he's like, oh. There's an understanding. There's an interesting thing about like tactics of warfare. And like for, at least for me, there was a, a quite a sharp switch from me thinking like oh my god the west are so powerful they can just they they get a bit sweaty and sunburnt but they can basically just kill anyone um anywhere and then and then it all went a bit afghanistan and there was like quite a strong sense that like these people were like way out of their depth and they didn't they like they had been like yeah they they'd been sussed by uh by the the residents of, of Baccarat. yeah they were completely Particularly Lunga Lunga who we haven't talked about yet who is the head of the um bandits the head of the rebels there's this yeah this this other group who I guess what kind of mirror man. image the marked man yeah they're the the mirror image of the hunters I suppose um but they're also outcasts from society they are in kind of open conflict or war with the local mayor and the local government, which is kind of implied why there's this water dispute 
uh, we don't understand how we understand later that they're actually from the community of Bacarao itself um, but they come to the villagers aid I'm not sure the villagers really need it to be honest but they come to the villagers aid um, and help fight off these mercenaries and that's really the the second half of the film is this flip where the arrogant heavily armed um, cardboard western mercenaries uh, come to this village and we think there's going to be a classic slaughter that they will come in and they will you know walk away uh, victorious killing and scalping everyone in the village that obviously doesn't happen that that plan is frustrated it's a failure um, because the village has these huge resources and actually becomes this well-oiled military machine basically do you did you have a feeling that was did you feel that's where the film was going or did, how did you feel the film was going to I didn't out? I thought the film would be would be bleak and um and would would tell a story of like an impossible an impossible defeat um at the hand you know um by a, w- a victory for the west another sort of brutal because that's sort of what you know if you look at like Harold Pinter's um Nobel Prize speech there's like you know a kind of aching um, like there's a sort of need to speak but then it's a genre piece so it reminded me of para- Parasite in a way that there's like yeah. this this revenge justice that happens that kind of corrects a political um, uh, a political um, yeah they both end, spoiler alert they both both films end with someone being buried underground um, mm. but yep. not the same person not the same figure uh, crucially, no, um, a very different and I thought that was why I thought found Parasite to be a more interesting film in that regard because even though some revenge is taken, you know mm. the oppressed still face like at the end quite, of uh, pa- yeah, in horrifying. In yeah, Parasite, they have to they have to survive. He has to ultimately survive as the parasite. Whereas this yeah. film is a because it's, it's a genre piece that has to be an unambiguous winner and a loser and here mm. the the narrative flair is to say what if, it's a what if and it's an experiment in that sense is what if these local communities actually have a huge uh, a well of strength and solidarity and resource that they can fight off this cartoonish west that's shown to mm. be a paper tiger and the west is shown to be a paper tiger um so yeah i think yeah i, th- I think you're right i think parasite is a much more subtle film even though they share a lot because they're both darkly funny films um, I don't think you could deny that they're both very beautiful they're mm. both very staged and stylized but this film doesn't have those ambiguities at all this is very much a story of, of right versus wrong uh, in a very clear way um, that's why I didn't like it as much I think it's yeah. it's funny like it's a very like it's very impressive and I, I get why loads of people told me to watch it And mm. but I just it didn't it didn't like tell me something about the world I didn't know it created a fantasy which is what the revenge film does in a way I suppose and the fantasy here is this kind of moment of triumph for these people who are ordinarily uh, oppressed and there's many moments like that where they get to have their moment of victory there's uh, a scene where the local mayor Tony Jr comes on the campaign trail and the village has a network of observers and spies because they are a community under threat. They're a body that's being invaded. And they, a series of phone calls comes down the line saying the mayor is on the campaign trail. 
And there's this hilarious, like, cavalcade of cars, like, big four-bar SUVs and Jeeps, and this mm. big, massive lorry with a huge LED. Like, there's a theme of the LED screen, or this mm. video of him smiling on the side of it in this weird little GIF animation. There's a whole song then, about how, what a great mayor he is. Yeah, of course, I forgot about that. Yeah, it's a, and song is another important part of this film, uh, but we can come back to that. And this, this cavalcade of the mayor turns up in the village, and by this point, everyone's gone into hiding. So it's the classic Western deserted town, ghost town. Mm. And he comes in, he's obviously having to try and get their votes, even though I presume the implication is it's kind of quite a rigged system anyway, but he needs mm. to kind of at least get nominal support from this community, even though he's stealing their water. And he comes in, steps out the car, and he's a classically kind of city boy, welcome, it's kind of like soft looking, um, very clean, as opposed to this quite earthy, dusty little village. And he drops off some supplies. Like he's trying to bread and circuses this community. And he drops off a, a lorry load of books, which he dumps on the school. <laughs> just like in a, a tip truck, he just dumps this, these books in front of the school. Uh, he drops off some food. Um, and then he drops off a box of medicine, which is the medicine we talked about earlier. Mm. And eventually the kind of people of the village um, start reacting to him. Um, and they start kind of trying to chase him out and swearing at him, calling him a liar. Um, That's and he's crazy. kind of... It's a really, really amazing scene. Like, the, the film has these beautiful moments and he's, he's kind of crushed and shown to be a complete embarrassment. Um, and he's kind of ceremoniously evicted from the town, basically. He has to kind of drive away. But he does take something from it. I mean, there's a, this is where there's complexity. He, there's a sex worker in the village who is effectively forced to go with him. Um, and you remember Dr. Dominguez mm. kind of intervenes. He has some um, power over, over, over them. Over their not, bodies. Yeah, over their bodies. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's quite, that's why the scene's quite complicated, isn't it? There's a lot that sort of doesn't add up for me, but that kind of, mm. kind of works in it. Um, like what, do you think? Sorry, I'm asking well, you to pull something out of your heart, but... I suppose just the kind of contradiction of, like... Well, they... Yeah, they have to give... Um, give the woman... To him Hand the woman the, over for, to him. For the night. Um, in, in order to get money to keep... To survive. But they can still show him... Total, defiance. Total defiance. Um, I, there's a certain... Yeah, that there's a dignity that they're, that they're allowed that I would say perhaps maybe they wouldn't in real life i think it's this performative uh resistance do you have you seen any films by jean rouge no he's the anthropologist guy right yeah and he got cancelled didn't he i think so no, it doesn't matter. i don't know about that <laughs> ah, okay let's, uh, we let's can not talk about things we'll... we don't know about like coups yeah let's stop it fuck <laughs> uh cancelling um but jean rouge uh made a film called le matre fou uh, Master's Madness in I think 1955 and within this film it's a study of a uh, a I think it's in the Andaman Islands in the Pacific um, and he kind of films this this local um, kind of tradition that's in the sort of 60s sorry 50s um, where the villagers dress up in these kind of uh, overly exaggerated um, 
costumes that they associate with the West. They dress up like generals and air, like fighter jets and footballers in these kind of grandiose, hilarious, almost like caricatures. And they run around and have this fake military procession. And the 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 kind of anthropology behind it is is they have this form of resistance to uh, the master's culture, as it were, mm. by adopting their dress and lampooning it in this kind of hilarious way and they're laughing that's why it's called the master's madness and they have this moment of madness and it's them showing the the west to be exotic and stupid and and theatrical and pointless and it's a toothless thing because it obviously has no effect on the power that the west exerts over the developing world but it's this moment of resistance and and denial um and it really reminded me of that of this kind of the way they use kind of uh pageantry and theater to deny power even while they're completely subject to it because like we said you know they have their moment of resistance but they still ultimately accept the drugs and the food mm. and the books and they still give this uh the sex worker over to tony jr so they're kind of they have their resistance but they also are ultimately denied f- freedom from it they're still victim victimized by it that was my kind of take on it anyway and it's kind of it it felt like he, the like Philo was kind of playing with these ambiguities. Um, yeah, just, there was a certain yeah. grace to their vengeance. Yeah, yeah, they held their heads high throughout. I think, whereas everyone else is is shown to be absurd. Yeah, the West and, is the West is sleazy. Foolish. I mean, there's something sort of gross and sleazy and tacky mm. and and careless and petty about their violence. I totally what get you that. Th- yeah. What did you think about the the mercenaries and particularly the Udo Kier characters, their kind of their commander? Because he has quite an interesting narrative arc. Maybe you could talk about that. So, yeah, the Udo Kier character um, is is the the commander of these these um, paintballers, I'm going to call them. Um, <laughs> and uh, Cologne. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and um, yeah I don't know if he has much of an arc I mean there's a bit where someone calls him a Nazi and he gets he really exerts upset he becomes very Nazi about it and says you don't call me a Nazi I've been in America for 40 years and you're only 38 (laughs) and um, and that sort of that seems (laughs) to settle that dispute Um, although the guy is very teenagerly with him he's like oh yeah whatever whatever man whatever I don't care you fucking Nazi whatever well, yeah, but designed to be hated. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah. uh, just because you're Nazi, I mean, whatever. <laughs> nasty, nasty. That's the they're, they're quite cardboard. Those those characterizations. Yeah, I mean, I don't. You were saying earlier about how like it's a kind of an inverse, and I'm just not that interested in in you know when, like it's like this thing with it happens with gender as well. People say like, um, what was a good what was a good example? Was it someone someone said about normal people that the, um, no, it wasn't normal people. It was little women same same normal women type of thing (laughs) Um, (laughs) (laughs) someone said about the same film yeah yeah was it philip pullman said that that he thought the guy the man the man in little women was underdeveloped i haven't seen little women um timothy yeah and um and someone replied to philip pullman being like yeah underdeveloped like all women in other films Or something I didn't like, see that and it, exchange. It was just, it was just like, yeah, it's like, it's let's all let's 
let's level up, you know, let's not... Oh, I see. So he not... was frustrated in a Philip Paul mini way. He was like, oh, well, you know, it's a good film, but, you know, the, the male character was a bit wooden and two-dimensional. Yeah, and then the, 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 comeback to, the comeback to that argument was like, well, you know, get used to... Yeah. It was a woman saying, like, get used to the fact that women are frequently underdeveloped <laughs> in films, which is, like, true. But, like, that's not an argument in favour of having underdeveloped characters of any gender. No. That's just, like oh shit the script writer fu- and that's like why you have writers rooms that's why you like yeah what that we have like a, a critical culture around writing so that characters mm. are not you know so it's like i felt a little bit like that way about this film where i was like you know the w- the western characters are pretty cardboard and that makes it less what less enjoyable to watch from less engaging for me because also in any film i'm most interested in the psychology of the oppressor anyway like i'm mm. more interested in the bad guy why they're bad what's going yeah. on for them so like the fact that the there was so much attention given to the people being oppressed there was uh, that felt like uh, well i mean saying this i sound like i don't care about <laughs> i sound kind of dumb when i say this but like like a lot of time was spent giving nuance and subtlety to like that wonderful woman Teresa early on you know she was very fascinating woman. Which one was Teresa? So she was in the van right at the start. The, she's the visiting doctor who's coming from yeah. West. Uh, not from yeah, Brazil, she brings, brings some vaccines. Um, she yeah. just had an immense dignity and, and intri- intrigue to her. She um, did. She was a very kind of... Yeah, because I, I think the film implies that she very might be the main character. As well. yeah, yeah, the film very... implies that she's important and then she just isn't, you know. That sort of thing. We see like, nothing of her. It's like, yeah, so I just thought, thought that was a bit of a... That felt a bit incomplete and in a way like yeah you give so much but attention to her and then nothing happens to her and then you just suddenly parachute in these like t- quite two-dimensional baddie westerners these bro um, bro hunters yeah. basically and then and they the become the, the bro film, hunters essentially yeah and i think the film this is what i was talking signaling earlier about my like frustration with what the film didn't deliver and it's like i i, I I was interested in the forces that gave rise to these these oppressors and to these these hunters, these trophy hunters. I was less interested in seeing these, the frat house behaviour between them in their in their mm. campsite, because it didn't add anything. It was done badly, and um, they. I wanted to see the village, and to be honest, like, I would have, been more happy and more kind of satisfied just to have them, to be quite anonymous, totally cardboard figures, mm. you know, sort of just these uber soldiers as it were um and spend more time with the village because what the film when we were talking about the bridge of the film and this middle section when stuff starts to go weird it has this the burgeonings of a kind of uh, magical realist film where the kind of occult and the strange begins to slip into this this settlement this village um and so there's the the town disappearing off the map but obviously it turns out that they're using uh, electromagnetic pulses, EMPs, to kind of block satellite signals to the area. Mm-hmm. And they address that very directly. He's like, oh, it's a good thing we use the electrical pulses to block the village's uh, signal off the map. Um, there's that bit. We learn that the mysteriousness of these um, uh, dead bodies appearing, the villagers being murdered, that's, we very quickly, after that happens, flip to the killers. And it's like, no, no, I wanted that that tension to be played out. Like, who is attacking this village? I wanted to be with the mm. the the people under siege as they tried to figure this out. And it, it kind of didn't play out that kind of tension and complexity in the middle part, the waistband of the film, for me enough. And it very quickly went, oh, yeah, these deaths and the disappearing off the map and this weird shit that's going on. Actually, 
that's down to these hunters that we're now going to spend half an hour, 40 minutes with. And for me, well, that's genre, that. isn't it? Yeah, this is, I, I guess, the limitation a, of a genre film. A quality of a genre of like a, a genre film is that you focus on on the how of things and not the why. Mm. So, like, you could, there's kind of an implicit assumption like we're going from A to B, and B is filled with bloodshed. So, you know, like yeah. the question is like, you know, who's all these fascinating things about like who's got a gun and who hasn't got a gun and who manages to take the upper hand and all that that's all done mm. extremely well and I was riveted throughout that but yeah if it's but like that's yeah that, that, that doesn't sustain my interest quite enough no it felt, I felt impatient because I want more sections. from a movie from a movie that like that gives so much at the beginning it gives that lays so much yeah because it sets up the potential for this hypnotic surreal fantastical combat basically uh and it kind of turns into just a kind of conventional like alien versus predator situation but i think in my head i thought it was going in a particular direction i thought there's like um a really famous work of anthropology by michael Tausig called the devil and commodity fetishism. Oh, um, he's good, Michael Task. I've read a little bit. Michael Task is amazing, right? And this book is, I think he wrote it in the 80s, late 70s, 80s, and it's like incredibly dry name for book, but it's fucking, it's such a good book. And he goes to, he studies uh, communities, miners in Bolivia. Um, and he kind of notes the oppression for these miners and mining communities has been endemic for centuries like they've always there's always been a land landowner a landlord there's always been someone who's been siphoning the wealth off of their labor and exploiting their labor um he said in the modern age of capitalism that's western conglomerates increasingly but he says it's not like there was this good time beforehand the good good old days and then capitalism he says it's a constant process of of you know Marx it's like it's Marx it's like this constant process of extraction and oppression has been going on for centuries if not thousands of years and what he does is he looks at this whole situation through um, the belief in the devil um, and Satan um, and devil like characters because obviously Christianity was another import to this part of the world going back to like the 1500s early 1600s and historically the devil has always been this kind of uh stand-in or metaphor for forces of exploitation so the miners have lots of statues of the devil that they put in the mines in the villages there's all these beliefs about the devil and the devil is this physical representation of forces of exploitation um he said under capitalism that the devil's role expanded to include to absorb western style uh extractive capitalism and gore capitalism so he said it showed that these these local beliefs these very ancient beliefs were able to were kind of adjusted and absorbed uh kind of changes to them but the society had been oppressed for centuries mm. i've given a very like basic read on it because it's like a four or five hundred did you, page did you say gore capitalism gore capitalism yeah this very hyper violent there's a book in uh with semi-text about this called gore capitalism it's really good it's literally about this and it's 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 based on uh south american case studies about this kind of hyper violent capitalism it's, it's basically saying that neoliberalism is uh too bland a word to describe 
the practices of capitalism actually is it's a very willingly violent thing mm. um yeah we see we the neoliberal bit but some people see the gore bit yeah exactly and it's like in some it's just oh it's just the free market and the free market is indifferent and she's saying the free market isn't indifferent the free market is actively evil um and it's kind of what we're seeing here in a way because this film but the problem is there so this michael Towsey book implies that and that's what i thought this film would be i thought it would be this community using their local beliefs practices webs of uh historical understanding to kind of understand what was attacking them and use that to counter it um yeah it doesn't quite disrupt the hegemony of of like rational western thinking does it no because they use it sort of does slightly but like they basically it's basically like who can hold a gun better you know like essentially that's yeah. what it comes down to they've got the jump lot, on the yeah. bad guys and they kill the and bad Lunga guys is, Lunga's good with a gun yeah he's 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 the hyper violent one isn't he he's the Oof. one that kind of it's very See, I'm I'm against violence <laughs> <laughs> you in don't a way, condone like, this act of fiction. Yeah, I was, I was watching it with, with my friend Penny. Um, mm. And she, yeah, I was like, oh, I'm not sure about the revenge. And she was like, oh, you know, come on. It's a bit cathartic, isn't it, when they all get sliced up? Yeah, <laughs> it is. <laughs> but they don't, it's kind of like, it's a weird thing because obviously this confrontation happens and the obviously the baddies, the hunters, get killed. But, and we can talk more about the actual ending, but one thing about Udo Kier's character is he kind of like ambles around for a bit and he obviously holds these people in a lot of disdain because uh, he's he's still an atrocious person but he's kind he of He holds I his suppose, own people in disdain doesn't he? He almost has mm. more respect for the enemy than Yeah which I guess makes him the kind of like noble hunter motif yeah, right? He's like that. he understands the Indian and he kind of gets it and it's almost like that and but there's a bit where he like he kills two of his own people yeah just for a laugh what about what's what's that all about? i don't get that i, I completely he... that's i paused the film now because it's like i don't understand that's another thing that doesn't why... yeah earlier when you asked me what doesn't add up that mm. doesn't add up yeah because he's like pointing a sniper rifle at the town and the villagers have all gone into hiding to ambush the attackers and it's he's, he's kind got of a like, silencer he loves his silencer it makes a beautiful noise the silencer that is kind of like thunk noise <laughs> And then he just like he shoots a dog, and someone says, "Hey man, did you just shoot a dog?" And he's like, "I would, I would never do that." But would, and, and then, then he shoots he just, a woman, and then like, did you shoot that woman? He's like, "I he? would never shoot a woman." Oh uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And then he just he just nails two of his own team for like no discernible reason, and then he tries to kill himself. Yeah. You know, he points the yeah so shit. He and gets his I'm, gun out. And points yeah. it in his mouth, and he's about to blow his brains out, and then a farmer comes up behind him and is like, what the fuck are you doing on my land? Yeah, he's like, well, you're not going to kill yourself, we're going to like make you die in a very slow and unpleasant way. But why, I don't understand, why is Udo Kier's character doing that? That's the bit that I just didn't get. Because, yeah, what do you think? I don't know, I'm He's stuck. a masochist, he's, he just loves, he's like... Killing. I think he's mad i guess that's the implication uh, the, the, maybe the implication that there's something in uh, continuing the metaphor that there's something in the in western uh society that like loves violence so much revels in it so much that like it ends up bringing it upon itself ah, and like okay. has such a disregard you know 
You know, like in the same way yeah. that you know the United Kingdom currently has the highest per capita death rate for coronavirus. You know, in a way, this is a, 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 finally the yeah. imperial violence that we meted out onto the world is coming home to roost. Coming flooding back. Maybe, maybe that's the metaphor. I don't know. It I'm could saying be. It I mean, way, that certainly makes it requires a lot of mental gymnastics to reach that place. Like that's I've what you come to this podcast gold. for. Mental gymnastics. <laughs> Beijing Olympics, fucking mental gymnastics, gold medal. Uh, that's what you're getting right here. I, mental control. Yeah, I kind of, I can kind of see that, like this self-destructive form of capitalism that it will, it's almost accelerationist, right? If you want to think it. it's because like, it's so it undignified. The violence itself. of the West is so undignified. It made me think of those mm. pictures from Abu Ghraib, like the kind of. Right. That's what made yeah. me like. I was like really reticent to say that the that the violence of the West was caricatured because I was like I know mm. that the west it's are not. this violent it was, it was tame if anything yeah. based on the violence the violence that the west is capable of um yeah so then i didn't but then out. i was like what like what yeah anyway we're coming up to the hour on this um we are any, i think any should final we talk thoughts? about should we talk about the end very quickly because sure. i think the end was the crescendo moment so obviously the good guys kill the bad guys very simple rough and ready kind of explanation there and then the the moment of victory not only is Udo Kier being captured but um the local mayor turns up mayor Tony Tony Jr rocks up uh in his little cavalcade and it turns out do you want to take the baton he gets rocked out he's yeah. he's made he's stripped and Per, uh, sort of gimp mask is put on his face <laughs> and he's and he's reverse um he's put on in a reverse cowgirl position there's a lot of um a lot of that in the film actually uh reverse anyway <laughs> yeah he's reverse cowgirl yeah um out of town on a donkey um to his death yeah one, one 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 can only surmise yeah that he's the going to slowly be buckarooed into the ground um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, like in some ways, you take pleasure in it. In other ways, it's, it's yeah. No. Some people go for that, you know. That was so. Is that, no, is that the end? You mean? This or like, oh, yeah, and the guy gets take Udo Kier gets taken down into the into the uh, the vault. He gets buried and, underground, and he says, and "This is just this is just the beginning." He says from behind the bars. Yeah, this is just the beginning, or this is not the end. It's one of those two. This this is just the beginning. Similar. He says, which suggests a sequel. Um, Baccarat two. Baccarat two. This Baccarat time, game. This time, it was bloody. production is delayed due to coronavirus. <laughs> oh, the other thing I wanted to mention was um, that when Mayor Tony turns up, he's got a welcome wagon with him. Uh, there's a van with loads of water in it, and the implication mm. is that he was waiting to find the hunters, who have successfully finished their mission and killed the townspeople, mm. and implying this was a uh, they were mercenaries that were hired to do this by the local mayor because they had become an obstruction to him. And so this right. was a moment of local corruption meeting. It was effectively a shadow coup. That, uh, sorry, a, a kind of proxy war mm. uh, local politician using outs- external shadowy military operators to destroy a, a kind of nascent rebellion, which is what happens in... in he just doesn't come across as even clever out. enough to deliver something of that scale. No, I feel like I had to squint to do that to come to that conclusion and it felt like that was again a moment where it could have been more we could have spent more precious uh narrative kind of exploring those those global machinations and it i think i think the problem there was like 
it was interesting reading what Filao had said about the film because one thing he was very adamant about was uh, the on the festival circuit when journalists interviewed him, they're like, "Oh, is this a film about your displeasure with Jair Bolsonaro?" Uh, obviously, deeply unpleasant um, president of Brazil, mm. and he was like, "Yeah." It's kind of, yeah, he, is. he said that obviously that's there, but the, the message he was making, which is kind of fits into this Michael Talsig message from earlier, was that their exploitation and oppression is a centuries-long issue that has affected mm. this country and other countries in the developing world and the global south uh, perennial, uh, perennially and with great aggression. This isn't just about Bolsonaro, this is about history. Mm. And he kind of made that point, and it was then frustrating to see the film yeah him him say that and then obviously the guardian and whatever you know michael Brad, uh, bradshaw peter bradshaw sorry kind of reviews and you know sort of taking this bolsonaro message and it's like you're, you're flattening the complexity of what i think philao is saying philao is a, a film well, people want films to be propaganda don't they that reinforce their worldview mm. they want it to they want oh yeah brazilian film can you just tell us why your guy's bad yeah, it's almost like we can only absorb this film if its message is about current affairs. You're only allowed, basically, you're only allowed to make a film if you're from the developing world, if it's basically uh, an Al Jazeera documentary. And if it doesn't fit into those simple categories, then it's kind of, it has to have a flat explanation like, oh, this film is against Bolsonaro. And I well, think, I'm glad it was su- more subtle than that. But yeah, I feel like our reverence yeah. for the film has, has faded over the course of this hour. <laughs> it really has. We went in, I went in with such high hopes, but to be honest, I still, I still really enjoyed it. Like, as a piece of genre film, it's fun. Mm. And I think... It's stunningly watchable, but I probably wouldn't watch it again. Mm. I, do you know what? I would. I feel like okay. I do want to watch it again. Um, it's probably more that I'd pick up. I'd probably be maybe kind to it if I saw it again. I think it's worth watching the start. Watch the first hour of this film, and then go walk away. Really? Michael Talsig. Yeah. <laughs> Read what a prescription. Talsig. That's what, you're, yeah. what this podcast will be. What, this, watch this section of the film we just watched, and then here's the theoretical text to. to yeah, um, we're doing pairings. It's like wine pairings. We're doing theory yeah. pairings. Uh, yeah, because we're, we're obnoxious. Um, I hate myself. I don't. Well, I don't, I don't hate yourself. Good. <laughs> um, on that, you know, soul crushing note. Yeah, so I, I, I think it, I think it was great, I, but I think it had a lot of failure to live up to the enormous promise that it had established and this foundation, this amazing foundation that it built for itself. Mm, it, bare people it, the love it. Structure collapse. Do people love it? Who loved it? Tell me. I'll well, go to the house. my friend Beth, my friend Daniel, my friend Barbara, um, who's maybe who's we're wrong. So yeah, I don't, there was a, during this conversation with various parents, I thought, well, maybe I'm just wrong. Yeah. Fuck it, maybe we again. We're, maybe again. Shit. So okay, we're going to revise. Come opinion. to this it podcast for wrong opinions. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah this is, uh, we're saying what other people are too clever to say. Um, <clears throat> as we're complete rubes, uh, we have On failed that note, to identify who Fark is, and we've misread the film entirely. You know, someone's got to speak for the for the over over puffed intelligentsia. Um, all right, thank you so much for listening, everyone, and mm-hmm. tune into our next podcast, which will be about another film, which will decide. I want to go Truffaut. 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 I'm a Truffaut. Truffaut. You're a, tr- you're a tr- <laughs> Truffaut. <laughs> all right, then. <laughs> well, it'll, pro- That's it'll the- probably be the 400 Blows. All right, take care, everyone. Yeah, I think it'll Bye. be 400 Blows. All right.
Peace out. Bye.